Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the podcast Three Sides with me, Aaron McLeod, where we will talk about all things that fall under the umbrellas of high performance, passion, and equality. Welcome back to this week's episode. Last episode, if you can remember, we discussed the U.S. National Women's Team pay equity lawsuit, the WNBA team, the New York Liberty, who were in hot water for flying charter like the men the last third of the season, breaking their CBA, and how a lot of attitudes towards women that were developed during the Industrial Revolution continue on today. Now, today we will finally jump into the four waves of feminism, as promised over and over and over. But first, let's dive into a quick word from our sponsor. It's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. If you're looking to wager this year, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline, where the game starts. And we are back. So in the U.S., there have been quote-unquote established feminist movements that can be broken down into about four different periods or waves, as they are more commonly called. All of them are slightly different actions, but most of them have similar aims. I will mention a race many times in this episode, but only as it pertains to the feminist waves. I plan to dedicate many episodes to race and racism as a social construct because there is a lot to be said. But today I want to focus mostly on the first wave of feminism, and there is a lot of racism within it, which actually created a huge divide creating two separate suffrage movements. In any case, I will get to that. The first wave happened late in the 19th century, which is no surprise, as the Industrial Revolution, which we talked about last time, supposedly ended around 1840. There had already been many attempts by women's groups at this point to gain respect, equality, and a voice. As you may also recall from last time, women during the Industrial Revolution were expected to work more, were underpaid, and also in charge of running the household with a smile on their face. There was even recruiting groups from large corporations to get more women into the cities so that the men would stick around. And what ended up happening, there was a lot of women in one place, a lot of dormitory-type setups with curfews, mandatory church attendance. And as a result, a lot of these women ended up meeting collectively many times about all the things that we're really unhappy about. And I think this is kind of one of the birthplaces, anyway, of the suffrage movement. The first wave, the whole point of it, in my eyes anyway, looking through all the literature, is really for women to be seen as equals or just even as human beings with a voice. Feminist leaders like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton are often celebrated for their work. However, 
This movement largely excluded and discriminated against women of color, according to thehumanist.com. So, of course, I had to look a little bit more into this. It's fair to say that both of these women were controversial, but I didn't know for what reasons until I started looking a little bit more into the research. What all the websites come to the same conclusion of is that in the first wave, there was definitely a divide between women. The two women I already mentioned, Stanton and Anthony, prioritized white women getting a vote over battling equality on the basis of quote-unquote race. I use quotation marks because race actually means species and not skin color, but for the sake of convenience this episode, I will refer to it as race. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth W. Stanton were actually both at one point working for increased property rights for married women. Again, as a side note, we talked about how long, long ago people were hunter-gatherers, which meant that we moved all over the place and there wasn't really much of a patriarchy quite yet. But when humans moved to more of an agrarian society, land and power fell to the men. So their first task was to basically undo 10,000 years of history. But another one of their priorities for both of them was to end slavery. However, when faced with the decision to support the 14th and the 15th Amendments, just to recap, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 14th gave former slaves the rights to be U.S. citizens, and the 15th was added to protect the voting rights of all citizens, regardless of race. So when they were faced with the decision to support the 14th and 15th Amendments, they fought against it. The idea of men of color getting a vote before white women was appalling for them. Up until this point, the women's movement was strongly linked with the abolitionist movement. Most websites agree the first wave really started with the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848, where a group of about 200 women met in a church and agreed upon 12 resolutions quote-unquote, calling for specific equal rights, including the right to vote, according to VOX.com, Vox.com. Lucretia Mott and Stanton were lead organizers in this. Both of them kind of famous for being barred from the 1840 World Anti-Slavery Convention in London because, well, women weren't allowed and they attended anyway. The Frederick Douglass spoke at the Seneca Falls Convention, supporting all women and their right to vote. Other people of color, like Sojourner Truth, Maria Stewart, and Frances E.W. Harper, played huge roles in the movement, not just for women's rights, but rights for all people. When the 15th Amendment passed in 1870, some of the white, middle-class suffragists couldn't believe former slaves would get the right to vote before they did. During this time, Stanton and Anthony had some pretty outwardly racist comments. Whereas other notable activists like Frederick Douglass and Lucy Stone believed the right to vote for women could wait until voting rights were granted to black men. In any case, two groups ended up forming. One led by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton called the National Women's Suffrage Association whose headquarters were in New York. They openly objected the 15th Amendment and strongly worked towards a woman's right to suffrage, education, and divorce. 
the American Women's Suffrage Association, led by Lucy Stone, her husband Henry Brown Blackwell, Julie Ward Howe, Mary Livermore, and famous preacher at the time, Henry Ward Beecher, to name a few, created the AWSA focused solely on the vote, and they were located in Boston. Because their focus was mainly on the vote, they ended up attracting more people than the NWSA. Both of these associations had their own journals published regularly to spread the word, both starting around 1870. For over 20 years, both of these groups competed with one another until they realized that a unified front would be more powerful. So eventually they merged to form the National American Women's Suffrage Association. We are going to get back to the rest of this episode in just a minute. I have another word from another sponsor. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. So I had the privilege of receiving a care package from Athletic Greens, and I've tried a lot of greens in my day, and they wanted me to try it out before giving a shout out to make sure that I actually liked the product. And I have to say, it is the best greens I have tasted. They are actually really nice and they taste great. So that's rare when it comes to greens. So check it out when you get a chance. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. So naturally, the NAWSA spearheaded the suffrage movement, but not everyone was allowed to participate. NAWSA didn't exclude African-American women from membership at the national level, but... At the state and local organizations, however, they could choose to exclude them according to crusadefortheVote.org. So what did that look like? Conventions in southern cities were segregated, and similarly, marches were segregated. As the vote continued to be one of the priorities, so were reproductive rights. In and around 1916, Margaret Sanger opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S. This was at a time where the New York state law forbade the distribution of contraception. Can you imagine birth control being against the law? Eventually, Sanger established Planned Parenthood. Finally, in 1920, Congress passed the 19th Amendment. And what does an amendment sound like? I had to look it up. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged 
by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Now, obviously, this amendment doesn't mention race, but in practice, it was difficult for women of color to vote. And when I say women of color, I mean all women of color. In 1920, Native Americans were not considered American citizens. Like, wrap your head around that for just a second. Native Americans being here long before anyone else. Asian Americans were looped into that, Latino, Hispanic, and of course, African Americans all suffered. People of color were required to do literacy tests, poll taxes, provide voter IDs, which they weren't given, not to mention the acts of violence and threats they would encounter as intimidation so that they wouldn't vote. In 1965, Fannie Lou Hamer and Diane Nash were leaders in winning the passage of Voting Rights Acts of 1965, some 200 years after the suffrage by black women began in 1800. Now, next time we'll get into the second wave of feminism and the feminine mystique. And although there was a lot of divide and obvious racism in the first wave, I think the initial push was to just be seen at all and recognized by the government and politics in the U.S. Now, before I move on, there's one thing that I have to comment on that actually has everything to do with what we're just talking about. Women gaining rights women of color gaining rights, it is no different than our trans youth right now. I have been deeply affected by how many states in this country are actively trying to ban trans youth from sports. I think in general, we have to be fighting for humans. Can you imagine how scary it is for someone who is trans and seven or eight years old and they're being told that they cannot talk about gender in their classroom or what they're going through in their classroom. And they aren't allowed to participate in sport. I think sometimes we forget to see the parallels that exist with all of these things. When we treat humans as less than humans, it affects all of us in a very negative way. Human rights are in no way, shape or form political. They are human rights. We have made the mistake over and over and over in history in thinking that human rights is subjective. It isn't. No one has the right to believe that they're better or superior or have more of a say or whatever than anyone else. And we have to stop believing that we have that right. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Three Sides with me. I want to give one last shout out to Bet Online. It is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Three Sides with Aaron McLeod. If you are interested in hearing about a certain topic, let me know. You can email me directly at themotivenation1 at gmail.com or my Mindful Project email, erin at themindfulproject.us. Thank you for your presence and for listening.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.